0: Good morning, welcome to Highland Community Church. If you have your Bibles, turn to John's first epistle. It's towards the back of the New Testament, back of the Bible, 1 John chapter two. Last week we looked at verses one and two. Today we'll look at verses three to six. 1 John two, three to six. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, as James warns us, we don't wanna be hearers of the word only. We want to be doers as well. We rightly acknowledge that your word is inspired. It is inerrant. It is given to us that we might know what we ought to believe, how we ought to live, that it would shape our lives, that we would be holy as your son is holy, that we would bring glory and honor to your name. We ask, Father, that as you take your word, apply it to us, challenge us, encourage us, transform us. Allow me to say what is right. And if I say things that are incorrect, give us the wisdom to ignore that. We wanna be transformed by your word. It's in the name of Christ we pray, amen. There's a gal, her name is Petra Reski. She is an expert on the mafia. She writes on mafiosa bosses and about their faith. She talks about the incongruity, the dichotomy between men who will murder, who will steal, who will commit all sorts of atrocities, and yet they claim they have a relationship with God. And in the book that she wrote, she has a number of interviews, one with Sicilian Marcello Fava. Now, Marcello tells us that he was a hit man and when he was about to put somebody six feet under, when he was about to snuff out someone's life, he would always cross himself. And she said, you would cross yourself? And he said, yes, all of us mobsters did it. We were asking God to protect us. She said, you were asking God to protect you at the moment in which you were about to take someone else's life? Marcelo said yes. And he didn't seem to see that there is an incongruity, a dichotomy, between his life and what he claimed to believe. I think of Bernardo Provenzano. He was a man who, when he was arrested, he was found to have five books. All of them were Bibles. You say, well, anyone could carry a Bible. But the interesting thing about this mobster is that the Bibles were all marked up hundreds and hundreds of verses were highlighted there were notes in the margins there were sermon observations he was an individual who not only had five bibles he read the five bibles when the compound that he lived on was searched by the authorities they found 73 73 statues of Jesus And these statues says, Jesus, I put my trust in you, 73 times. And yet this man committed many atrocities, many murders, broke many laws, and didn't see the incongruity between what he was living and what he was learning in Scripture. I think of mobster Michael Greco. In his cell, he has exactly four books. He has two books on liturgy. He has a copy of the scriptures and he has a book that is entitled Pray, Pray. And yet he doesn't see the incongruity. At his trial when the judge asked him about murdering, he said, yes, I have an inner peace and he pointed towards God. He was claiming that God gave him an inner peace which allowed him to murder others. Now you and I can read that and we can say, there's an incredible dichotomy, an incongruity, an inconsistency. And we can easily dismiss the faith that these men claim. But I think it hits closer to home when we begin to look at the incongruity of our own lives, what we claim on Sunday, how we act on Monday. I think of a recent survey on the website Christian Mingle, which is for singles, that they might find someone to date. And this survey was from 18-year-olds to 59-year-olds. And a question was asked, would you have premarital sex? Now, it's not talking about making a regrettable mistake in the heat of the moment. It's just saying, would you have premarital sex. Now these people are ones that claim that the Bible is inerrant, the Bible is inspired, that salvation is by faith in Christ alone, that God gives us commands, not only for him to be glorified, but that we might be purified. He's not arbitrary or capricious. He gives us commands to transform our lives. And yet 63% of the respondents casually said yes. And we can see that incongruity, dichotomy, inconsistency isn't just for a mob boss, but we all need to guard our lives. The truth is when we come to Christ, we are committing ourselves to the lordship of Christ, that he is on the throne, that his commands guide our lives. But we don't like to give up control. Think of it this way. Some of you have been a parent. And if you've been a parent and you had a naturally born child, think of your oldest, you were in the hospital, the child was delivered, and it's at a time in life when you have a Ford Festiva budget, right? But you have bought a Cadillac card seat because your precious bundle is going into that car seat. And it's the first time in your life you've ever read directions but you know that car seat is put in the car the right way and you put your bundle of joy in the car seat and you check the straps like 33 times. And on the way home, you drive on the very side of the highway and you top out at 30 miles an hour and you have your flashers on telling everyone to socially distance away from your car. Precious cargo is in your car. But as time goes on, Your child grows from the car seat to a booster seat to a seat belt in the back to shotgun. And then that year occurs, age 16, and they get the piece of paper. I'm not talking about the learner's permit. You still have control. I'm talking about the license, and now they want the keys. And we've got to relinquish, because it's good for them, relinquish control. But we don't like to relinquish control. When you and I make Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives, when we receive Christ, we are to relinquish control. It's no longer our time, it's God's time that we are to invest. It's not our money. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's his money, how does he want us to invest it? It's not our mores, our values, it's God's mores, God's values. How does he want us to live our lives? How are we gonna glorify God? We are to incrementally be giving more and more control of our lives over to God and in accordance with his word. I think that's what 1 John chapter 2, verses three to six is all about. Allow me to read it. And as I do so, I'm gonna clarify some of John's pronouns. 1 John 2, verse 3. And by this, we know that we have come to know him, Jesus, if we keep his, Jesus' commandments. Whoever says, I know Jesus, but does not keep Jesus' commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But whoever keeps the word of Jesus in that person, truly the love of God is perfected, a word from teleos, it means matured we are not reaching perfection, we're reaching maturity in Christ. By this, we may know that we are in Jesus. Whoever says he abides in Jesus <coughs> ought to walk, excuse me, in the same way in which Jesus walked. As a pastor, I consider myself a pastor shepherd. The word pastor is poor main, it means Shepherd. And if I were to boil down what a pastor shepherd does into two phrases, that's always a risky thing to do. But if I were to boil down what a pastor shepherd does, it's this, he comforts the afflicted with the truth of God, with the truth of God's word, with the truth of the gospel, he comforts the afflicted. And he afflicts the comfortable, Now, I'm fairly high empathy, and it's pretty easy for me to comfort the afflicted. I love intercessory prayer. Even last night, I was up multiple times praying for somebody in a hospital in another state, praying for a family who had just incurred an incredible painful tragedy, praying for individuals who have lost loved ones. I resonate towards comforting the afflicted, but the other side of it is to afflict the comfortable. And I think today's text does both. It starts out with a bedrock truth that comforts the afflicted. It may be that you've accepted Christ as your savior and you have a very tender conscience, praise the Lord. That's a gift from God. That's the Holy Spirit in work in you. But sometimes those who have a very tender conscience when they sin, they begin to be so overwhelmed by their sin that they even wonder if they're part of the family of God. Let me tell you, if there's growth in your life, if there's maturity in your life, if there's fruit in your life, if you understand that you are being pierced by God's spirit and you're convicted of sin, know this, you belong to God. Let me comfort you in your affliction. Salvation is guaranteed for those who truly believe in God. And it is once saved, always saved. Have assurance in your salvation. I think of Philippians 1.6. He, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it. In the day of Christ Jesus, he's working in us. It's his reputation that if we began life in Christ, He will complete it within us. Romans 8, look at verses 37 to 39. Know in all these things, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor principalities or powers, nor those in the present or those to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If you are loved by God through faith in Christ, nothing on earth can separate you from God's love. Rest in the assurance of God's salvation. I think of John 10, 28 and 29, beautiful verses. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Good luck trying to take salvation that God has granted away from the father. Good luck trying to snatch out of God's hand. Good luck with that. If you are a Christ follower, let me comfort you. You belong to God. You are his child. He will hold on to you. And he will incrementally begin to mold you. There will be fruit. There will be perseverance. There will be transformation. You might take three steps forward and two and a half steps back. You might slip. You might slide. You might sin. But you will not slip away, slide away, or sin away. Because God is holding on to you. You belong to the Lord. However, however. If you said a sinner's prayer listlessly, many years ago, maybe to please a grandparent or a parent or a spouse or a child or a friend, and there's been no fruit, no perseverance, no transformation, because the fruit of the Spirit is not Might be, could be. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. If there's been no fruit, no transformation, no change, then I want to afflict you today. You're too comfortable. I don't want you to leave here thinking that you're a believer, and possibly you are not. Isn't that what Matthew 25 is all about? Matthew 25 Jesus gives the parable of the sheep, those who have truly believed in Christ, and the goats, those who have not. And if you read the parable clearly, both groups believe they belong to Jesus, but one of them has deluded themselves. Maybe they listlessly parroted a prayer Decades earlier, and they thought that that was fire insurance. It kind of pleased some people. And they've even had individuals in their lives, even though there's been no fruit, no transformation, no perseverance. People have said, I know Johnny, he prayed at age five. And he's just been wandering like for the last 14 decades. I don't want to give false assurance. Because in Matthew 25, there are people who say, Lord, Lord, and what does Jesus say? He says, depart from me, I never knew you. He doesn't say you slipped away, you fell away, you sinned yourself away. He said, no, I never knew you. If there's been no transformation, no fruit, no perseverance, my friend, please be afflicted and examine your heart. Make sure today that you know Jesus Christ. There's so many false assurances. People say, I go to church or I know some Bible stories. I know some theology and they can recite it. Make sure you know Christ, that there's real fruit, real transformation. Listen to some of the words of James in James chapter two, verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. James is not saying that it's a combination of faith and works that gets us to heaven. He's saying that true saving faith will be evidenced by works in our life. Verses 20 to 22. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Wasn't that Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. Saving faith is validated by works. I think that's what John's saying. Let me read the text again. And by this, we know that we have come to Jesus if we keep the commands of Jesus. Whoever says, I know Jesus, but doesn't do the commands of Jesus. He is a liar. The truth is not in him. That person has false assurance. But whoever keeps Jesus' word in him, in that claimant, God's love is matured. It's perfected. By this, we know that we are in Jesus. Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in Jesus. If we claim that Jesus is in our life, there needs to be fruit, there needs to be evidence, there needs to be perseverance in our lives. Let's just make a few observations from the text. First, those who know Jesus will seek to obey his commands. It's not that we reach sinless perfection. You remember, 1 John 1.8, if we claim that we have no sin, we are liars and the truth is not in us. That's why we need 1 John 1.9, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's a process, it's progressive sanctification. We're not looking to all of a sudden go from sinful to sinless. That'd be great, it's not gonna happen until we get home to glory. But again, there's gotta be progression, there's gotta be fruit and if there's no progression, there's no fruit, my friend, examine your heart to make sure that there is evidence that you, I belong to Christ. It's not that works hold us in Christ. No, 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 God holds us. But if there's no evidence of fruit, then the Holy Spirit is not in us. If the Holy Spirit is not in us, we don't belong to Jesus Christ. So fruit, perseverance, transformation, evidences that you and I belong to the Lord. John says in verses three and four, keep. We need to keep his commands. It's in the present tense, the iterative tense. That is we keep and then we keep again and we keep on keeping on. And in verse four, it's in the passive. That means we can't do it on our own. It's God's Spirit working in and through us, helping us to take the next step in our relationship with Jesus Christ. A second observation is that repentance is a command. It's not a suggestion. I love what Mark says in Mark 1:5. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In this text, the gospel has repentance as part of it. I'm not interested in a debate on the lordship of Christ. It's clear in Scripture that if you truly believe in Christ, his spirit is going to work in you, in me, transforming us, and we will incrementally take a step and a step and a step more and more towards Christ. Third, I want to remind myself that the word commandments is in the plural. It's not like I say, oh, out of the 10 commandments, I like one, so I'll just shuttle the other nine. The plural actually suggests that you and I are to discover through study of the word all of God's commands and continue to apply them. I love what God says in Joshua 1.8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good or godly success. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. Some of you do that so well. Thank you for your model. The idea is this, we can't pick and choose, we can't cherry pick scripture. We can't say, you know what? It's not politically correct to believe this. It's not politically correct. It's not the air I breathe to embrace that. That is a dangerous path And if you belong to the Lord, he will bring chastising discipline into your life, into my life, if I start cherry picking scripture. All of Scripture I am to meditate on day and night. It is the lamp unto my feet. It is the path that I, you, we are to walk upon. Fourth, don't be thrown by the word "perfected." To tell Tietya tie. in verse five, it's it means maturity. It's from teleos. It means to grow up, to get to the end goals, to get to maturity. This is very interesting to me. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to them and says, you're babes in Christ. You need milk, not solid meat. And in 2 Corinthians, he says, I don't believe it. You're still babes in Christ. You don't need milk. You should be on meat. Do you know how many years are between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians? Five. In other words, from the moment you and I accept Christ to the time period when God expects us to be mature in Christ is five years or less. As we take God's word and apply it to our lives, as we're transformed by God's mores and God's values, and we become more and more like Jesus. If you're doing that, be comforted, be comforted. You're on the right path. You're setting a blazing trail. May God continue to to guide you down that path. But if not, may you be afflicted today. I think of Judas. Judas has got to be the most tragic figure in history. Only 11 other men in all of history saw more of the miracles of Christ or as many miracles of Christ as Judas. You remember what John said at the end of his gospel. He said, I suppose that if all that Jesus had done were written in the books, all the books in the world could not contain them. And Judas saw most of those. Jesus was a peripatetic rabbi, which means he didn't just preach when 5,000 men, their wives and their children were gathered. And he said, hey, let me, let me begin to teach a little bit here. A peripatetic rabbi is a rabbi without a pulpit. And he has a group of disciples, in Jesus' case, 12. And wherever they walked, he taught. Wherever they eat, he taught. When they were ready for bed, he taught. When they got up in the morning, he taught. Three and a half years, Judas heard way beyond what is recorded in the gospels from the mouth of Jesus. He saw the miracles, he witnessed the character of Christ. You remember in John chapter 6, verse 7, 70, it says this. Did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is, not was, or became, Eston, is a devil. Judas was a devil from the beginning. He was in light. He had light unlike any that we have ever experienced or seen. He knew Christ, he saw Christ, the maturity of Christ. He saw the example of Christ. He heard the teachings. He experienced the miracles. He even actually served. He was the treasurer and he served in other capacities among the 12. And yet he did not know Christ. He did not have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Maybe he listlessly said a sinner's prayer. Maybe to please somebody. I don't know. But he did not know Christ afflict the comfortable those who might claim that they know Christ but there's no transformation no fruit now maybe you're here today and you're in a third category maybe you actually know you have clearly prayed to receive Christ there has been fruit there has been perseverance but it's been minimal you haven't made much effort know that God disciplines those whom he loves, those whom he calls as children. He brings trials and difficulties in our lives that actually could be avoided, except he's trying to get attention, our attention, that we might get back on the path. And so my friend, if you're here and and you're really walking with the Lord, I wanna comfort you. If you have a tender spirit, I wanna comfort you. You're doing well. Maybe you know you've believed in Christ, but you're cherry picking. I can't believe that because that isn't culturally acceptable. I can't embrace that because I might offend somebody not worrying about defending God. I wanna warn you. I wanna afflict you, me, God might bring discipline into our lives. And then there's a third category. They're around light. They're they're like Judas. They know the words. They know the accounts. They know biblical truths. They might have even served. He served as a treasurer. Look at what Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. It doesn't say, I did know you, but you slipped away, you slid away, you sinned away. No, no, he didn't know you. Not you. You didn't know this person. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. As I read scripture, churches like Highland have self-deluded people in them. They've been around light. They've seen godliness modeled. They've heard the teaching. Maybe they've even taught but they've never truly placed their faith in Christ. Won't you do so today if that's you? If you've claimed to know Christ for many years and there's been no fruit, no perseverance, no transformation, no change, please be afflicted. Don't be deluded, be afflicted. And by faith, ask Christ to come into your heart to forgive you of your sin and to become your Savior. One last comment, a very important one. This sermon is for you and for me. This sermon is not about, oh, my kid, my grandkid, my aunt, my spouse. It's about you. It's about me. We're really bad at other fruit inspection. We've got to be about self-inspection. I think when we get to heaven, we are going to be shocked. There might be a, a gnarly, rascally guy there. And you say, whoa, how is it possible? Well, we don't know where he started. There might be a lot of fruit, a lot of transformation. I mean, he was really, really, really depraved, which is all of us, but he might even started at a lower point and there has been fruit and there has been progression, but, but we don't even recognize it because we don't see how far he's come, what God has done in his life. And then there might be a gal that we expected to be there and she's not there. And we say, whoa, she was so put together. And she could like, not only tell us the Bible passage, but like she could tell us the address. Like who can do that? I mean, she was so put together we don't understand that maybe she grew up in a family where she learned how to look like a Christian, to act like a Christian, but there was no transformation. Today's sermon is self-inspection. Inspect the fruit in our lives, not the lives of others. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I thank you for John, what he's teaching us, reminding us of, challenging us. Father, it's so easy to be critical of others, but help us to be introspective. And if today we have doubts about whether we have truly placed our faith in Christ, or we know we haven't, may by faith we say something like this. I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And by the empowerment of your spirit, help me to turn, repent from my sin and towards righteousness. Grant me eternal life. And for those of us who have been cherry picking and more concerned with political correctness or the winds of the world, Father, forgive us. And by your Spirit, help us to embrace all of biblical truth, to be transformed by all of Scripture, and to become more and more like the image of Jesus. And Father, for those who have seen fruit, seen maturity, Empowered by your Spirit, praise you, Lord, for this. And help each of us, all of us, to take the next step in our relationship with Jesus Christ and become more and more like your Son. We ask this, we plead for this. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.